Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to a spectacular edition of Thrush and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy horror podcast where two ghouls slam the door in each other's Halloweenies. And speaking of hollow, I'm Aaron, and I'm joined as usual by the real-life MacGyver, give him a lemon, an umbrella, and the blood of a virgin, and he'll build a computer with it. It's Evan the Metal Man. How you doing? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I'll either build a computer or I'll blow it up. Or bake bread with it. Uh, but guess what? <laughs> what? We have another West End diva in the studio today, and gladly, they's about to bring our dead show back to life. This April baby first learned to walk on the West End stage as the heartthrob Marius in the mega smash Les Miserables before saying ahoy to the Savoy for a good jolly Rogerin in Peter Pan, where he developed a love of being typecast as a pirate by soon appearing in Pirates of Penzance as the dashing Frederick, sailing across the Atlantic to then appear on Broadway as the hunky Tiernan in The Pirate Queen, and after developing cabin fever, he regained his land legs with further stints as nearly every hunk, heartthrob and honey on the British stage in a scorching hot career that has included My Fair Lady, City of Angels, Assassins, The Fantastics, The Pajama Game, The Winter's Tale, Coriolanus, and you might want to see a doctor about that, and The Phantom <laughs> of the Opera at the Royal Albert Hall, plus today's chosen Spooksicle. And somehow he also found the time to co-write Committee the Musical, which premiered at the famed Donmar Warehouse, plus his various screen roles in Doctor Who, Murder in the Orient Express, Holby City, as well as the film version of Les Miserables. And that's without mentioning his appearance in the 25th anniversary concert, plus his popular stint to Javert. And it's safe to say after four goes around the barricade, his therapy bill is through the roof. So please give a warm, cheerful g'day to the man whose resume is longer than these introductions, the number one West End heartthrob, he's truly madly, Hadley Fraser. How are you going? Welcome to the Torture Chamber. That was some intro. I, I, I might, Thank you very much. Do you mind sending me a copy of that? Because I might use it as my CV now, pal, for my for, for programs. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. That is two now i'm gonna pat myself on the back of that one it's funny because um originally it was going to say truly hadley deeply but that would be a totally different podcast yeah uh, so th there's no way to write that without it sounding pornographic um <laughs> but as i say you have been the leading lothario in like everything uh, are there no other pretty people in london um, there are a great many other pretty people in london i, don't know, I mean that's what i thought yeah no it, i suppose um there was probably just... Oh, sorry, that's my brother calling me on the phone. There is another pretty person yeah. in London. Uh, there's probably uh, just a dearth of people at, at a particular time who sort of played chinless wonders. I, I, I got a sort of reputation for playing sort of slightly upper class, um, sort of no muscles in the arms, chinless idiots. Yeah, but no, there's a, there's quite a few of those around in London, as you can imagine. Oh, I, uh, I am teasing there. <laughs> uh, but speaking of, of West End, it's up and running again. Thank God. Uh, jump straight into a, a serious question here. Besides the common current socio-political answers like diversity and authenticity, what changes are you hoping to see moving forward? I think there is an understanding, really, that going forward from here, it sort of can't just be business as it was to a certain extent, which was power and decision-making being held in the hands of a, a select few. And I think we're already beginning to see that. I mean, there's a natural structure, I suppose, that has grown up over the years and perhaps questions are being asked of whether that's right or not. And um, I think, like you say, questions of diversity and access to people, access to work for, for people who perhaps haven't had access to work um, is going to be really important going going forward and, and I think also what's going to be really important I don't know how it is with, with, with you guys over there but here I think it's also about um, not just representation and access for people say on stage you know act, acting but people in positions of power and people um, people who are making those decisions and, and I think there is certainly a real real conversation being had about that over here and real changes being made actually I think in, in that direction and it's heartening to see and yeah, that's it it is a uh, changing landscape out there uh, in a lot of ways yeah. which I've uh, said 
quite a few times on here. But anyways, we, we've got the serious question out of the way. So we're going to jump into the silliness, the heavy metal. Yeah. Now, what has been your experience with metal over the years? Well, I suppose I've, I, I mean, I'm a bit of a, um, when it comes to music, I'm a bit of a magpie. Like I could pretty much sit down and listen to anything. Yeah. So just to cut you off, in Australia, magpies try to kill us. So <laughs> right. I just want to clarify that. We're talking about British yeah. magpies there that are a lot yeah. friendlier. Ours don't steal shiny things. They they stab you in the back of the head. Do they really? Yeah. Yeah. Look it up on YouTube. That's yeah. incredible. They swoop. Kids lose eyes every year to bloody magpies. Hadley, a baby died recently because the mother got attacked by a magpie and she dropped the baby on the path when she got attacked. That's how horrible this is for us in the springtime. Are they after anything or are they just like thugs? They're protecting their nests. Yeah. Sorry. So just to to clarify that, we're talking about British uh, vampires, magpies, same thing. Yeah, British magpies are like sort of 60s crooks, you know, like very Mm -hmm. sort of genuine geezers. They'll sort of let you know that they're going to steal it and then they'll steal it. As opposed to, yep. mind you, it strikes me as someone who's never been to Australia, but there's an awful lot of Australian fauna that is potentially quite lethal. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> as the song goes, come to Australia, you might accidentally get killed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I listened to, I suppose, a bit of metal back in, in high school, it would have been. I had friends who were sort of metalheads, you know, but it was sort of the entry level stuff, really. And I mean, Evan, if you're the if you're the metalhead, you'll tell me, you know, quite how vanilla this is. But it was all like Metallica and Pantera and and that kind of stuff. Nothing wrong That's with that. What I know, <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. Entry level. No. And yeah. then, I suppose when I was eighteen, sort of by accident, my brother and I <laughs> ended up going to the Reading Festival, which back then was like a big metal uh, festival. Um, I wish. Yeah. Yeah, and so. You know, it's all a bit of a blur, to be honest, but there was... Um... <laughs> Good festival. Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> um, no, we didn't. We were, a bit too, we were a bit too scared to get into anything too too full on. But um, there was basically three days of metal and hard rock. So I was mm. kind of exposed to it then. But I confess, over the years, my tastes have probably led me away to the point where I don't reach for that instinctively anymore. I mean... I, I now I'm a bit of a jazzer really these days and um, that's another podcast in its entirety but certainly you know there were a good mm. two or three years there from about sort of 16 to 19 where I'd stick on some metal or hard rock and then I, I met a friend of a friend through university who has the most encyclopedic knowledge of of of, of all music who introduced me to um, the band whose album we're gonna we're gonna listen to today and and that 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 sort of that felt like a whole different thing in a certain way. Like it wasn't the metal that I'd heard before. It wasn't Metallica. It wasn't that kind mm. of very sort of two by four metal. It was something else entirely. I mean, maybe we'll get onto that, but yeah. Well, you chose yeah. the band Dream Theater, which is the American <laughs> spelling, so that's how you got to say it, Theater. Yeah. <laughs> and I pass that on to Evan, and he chose the album. Uh, it's what's it called? Again, I oh, didn't write oh, it down. Shit. Um, I did write it down. God, hang on. You'll see why in a minute why it's not written down. Scenes from oh, something, okay. isn't it? I can't remember. Um, Scenes from a memory. That's it. Wasn't it Metropolis Part 2? That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's right. I did write that down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I did write it down. It's halfway in. It should come up behind you on the screen. I don't know who that is. Oh, I've got Twisted Sister and Young Frankenstein up for some reason. Yeah, you've mixed up the albums. I got the wrong show. <laughs> You've conflated the next episode we're recording on Saturday. Yeah, no, that's the next one. Oh, bugger. Oh, well, all my prep has just yes, gone You know, it is all on the Google calendar and I'm yeah. sleeping maybe half an hour a day. You can always ask. <laughs> yeah, no, I prepped the wrong album covers. You have. Oh, that's, that's all right. It's only a. Nice. It's only the background. We're worried about what you've got to say. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I chose Metropolis Part 2. Um, <laughs> most people would go for uh, the albums called Images and Words, which was before that, 92, because that was the more successful, more sort of commercial album. But yeah. um, no, I did Metropolis Part 2 mainly because it's just such a well-done concept album. Um, you know, all about life and death and spirit and all that physiolog- f- philosophical stuff. And, and the music conveys it really well. 
um, yeah, it's just one of their one of their better albums. Yeah. All right, I've written a review. Would we like to hear it? Yeah. I wouldn't expect much. It is this show after all. So when I first saw the cover, I had to wonder why they made a musical version of Thirteen Ghosts. It sucked in two thousand and one. It sucks even more today. So regrettably, I hit the start button and instead found a moody, almost poetic concept album. And just like 13 Ghosts, I had no fucking clue what was happening. (laughs) But unlike that dreaded Matthew Lillard film, this wasn't terrible. It was often haunting, which is also something that other shitfest fails to be, spectacularly. And I was thrown off as one of the performers sounded like Richard O'Brien. And that, whilst not actually him had me intrigued enough to want to further explore this rocking horror concept album. So overall, my large rat-like ears pricked up as each song began. Interested to hear how this band managed to highlight the difference between a musical motif or a through line and repetition. But it also proves that those in metal cannot count as Evan chose part two instead of starting at part one. Maybe that's why I had no fucking clue what was happening. And whilst I was expecting a nightmare, cliche joke, what I got was actually a band showcasing its potential and living up to the genius legacy of concept albums that clearly inspired their choices, not necessarily their sound. Four stars. Four. So I actually quite really enjoyed this as a a thoughtful, ponderous piece, though as I say, I had no clue what was going on in the album but the music was enough to get me thinking. <laughs> yeah, I quite liked it. And if you bothered to, to look, part one is actually just a single song. There isn't an album, part one. It's just there's a um, Metropolis oh. part one is a song. And then Metropolis part two is an album. Oh, well, no, I didn't bother to look it up. Clearly, <laughs> you caught me out there, didn't you? <laughs> um, but I did not actually, I found it on a playlist originally that had the part one. And I thought to myself, why have they only put one song on there? <laughs> it d- really didn't occur. Yeah, no, that was the song. Yeah, no, I, I quite enjoyed it. Wow, that's a first. No, it's not. It, it is. You, you, yeah, you usually hate most of it unless you've chosen it yourself. That's not true. That's. <laughs> I am not that arrogant. Thank you very much. I loved Body Count. I gave them five stars. Um, yeah, but we know that you love Body Count. Yeah, what was this about? <laughs> that's... Well, well, like I mean, like like I just said, it's it's really just you know about life and death and spirit and. That's a ballet. Uh, philosophical stuff. Yeah. This is a ballet. It's not a ballet. a musical. This is a ballet. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I put it down at defending. I was prepared to defend Dream Theater. Apparently, I don't have to. No. Um, Sorry to waste your time. But um, I'll move my notes over. Hang on. Where are we? Um, that's better. Um, I put down Dream Theater are consistent lunatics. I mean, you can you can listen to one album out of context and go, these guys are all over the place. In one minute they're doing brutal heavy metal, the next it's a soft ballad, and then they're doing a song that could fit fit into a nineties sitcom. But then all their albums are like that. That's what makes them unique. Dream Theater certainly aren't afraid to experiment. You can be in the middle of a big rock ballad. And then they'll bust out trumpets and an orchestra and violins and pianos, pan flutes, whatever the hell it takes. Yeah. Um, the opening track of this album, it's very Pink Floyd. I got a lot of Pink Floyd out of this album yeah. in general. Um, and, and I feel it's, it's hard to capture like creepy and foreboding musically and to pull it off without sounding lame like a slasher film track, uh, slasher film soundtrack. Yes, exactly why I juxtaposed it against 13 Ghosts, regardless of the cover, because the two covers are yeah. the same. Yeah, no, they, they managed to pull it off. Obviously, Alice Cooper is a master at it. Ozzy Osbourne's quite good at doing it. Um, you know, sounding creepy without trying to sound creepy. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to do. And then they've managed to do this sort of littered all throughout the album. Um, of course, I'm a big fan of the drumming. It's it's really by the book accurate drumming. Um, I love the use of the double kick. Yeah. Uh, so many bands will overdo it, and you just end up with this thrumming throughout the whole songs. And here, the drummer will just do short bursts bursts of double kick where needed, mm-hmm. and it's really impactful. And of course, the drummer for Dream Theater, 
is Mike Portney, who in drumming circles is someone most drummers look to. I've heard of him. Yeah. Well, that you've heard of him for a reason. Yeah, you know I love my drummers. That's why. He is so technically perfect 100% of the time. Yeah. He never overplays. He knows when to just sit back and carry the song or to when to go nuts. He's, he's just got a way of complimenting songs the way it should be done. He's a prime example of good drumming. Yeah. So, yeah, he's quite a name in the drumming world. The lead guitarist obviously is an absolute legend. He mm -hmm. has certainly learned his scales. I don't think there's any scales that he doesn't know. There you go, learn your scales, kids. Musically, as a band, they're really unpredictable. The album takes twists and turns constantly. Case in point is track seven, Through Her Eyes. It could easily be a completely different band. Yeah. But the through line is there. Yeah, and it has that same sort of Pink Floyd-y feel as the yeah. first track. And then you get to track eight, which just sounds like fucking Tool. And then randomly they throw in some honky-tonk piano because that's <laughs> what they do. You know, Spirit Carries On is just a wonderful song. It's just so well written, so well sung. It's got the big swelling key changes and the long, slow guitar solos. Female choirs in the background coming up there with, you know, some of the best Pink, Pink Floyd again. Pink Floyd just keeps coming yeah. back. You can hear the influences. Yeah, and it reminded me of Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Uh, it specifically reminded me of Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Yeah. And if you can tap capture that sound, I think you've done pretty well. Honestly, these guys can just play just about any genre they feel like. Um, I found listening through the back catalogue, uh, you'll get some albums that you, give you a bit of a Halloween-y vibe and another album sounds very Faith No More. This one's got a very Pink Floyd feel to it. And they just kind of reinvent themselves every time still end up being mental. But that's what we want from a band. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. I know. Um, I, I actually got a new appreciation for, for Dream Theatre, just doing the research and just listening around. Um, like I said, I'll listen to the, the album we've, we've given or picked, but then I'll listen around to all their other albums as well. And yeah, I, I really got a big appreciation for Dream Theatre, yeah. more so than before, just, just by doing research on them. Yeah, I love them. Awesome. Now, Hadley, how did you go reliving this band, this concept album? Did you understand what the fuck was happening in the story? <laughs> well, I was enjoying listening to, to the pair of you there and enjoying listening to Evan sort of the rundown. You know, it would be an album that I've not listened to for years. And I suppose there's probably something at play that I quite enjoy about it, which is that sort of theatricality. I mean, the fact that you mentioned mm. Floyd, I, you know, I get a lot of sort of Floyd from it, but also a sort of prog, prog theatricality, you know, like Genesis. I was just about to say like uh, Gabriel era Genesis. There's a lot of that stuff yeah. going on where you have very different time signatures just butting up against one another. And then there'll be a massive mm. gear change. And like you say, they'll go from, you know, really hard rock or sort of symphonic um, metal suddenly into something completely different. And it can leave you a bit discombobulated. So Aaron, when you ask me, do I know what's going on? I'm not sure that's the point. Like, in a way, I think... Touché. You know, yeah. I think th there's a there's something to be said for this album in particular. You know, it's got that that spoken intro that's, um, that's a uh, sort of um, someone hypnotising you, isn't it? For me, mm -hmm. it's a sort of moment where actually you sort of let... Um, uh, let right angles go a little bit and start to look at things in a much more sort of amorphous way. So I wouldn't be able to tell you what the story was other than uh, uh, someone seems to have died, a girl called Victoria. And this is something that is either recounting that or is coming to terms with that. Because there's no plot on Wikipedia. There's no plot. Oh, there, there is. There's no. Nah, there's a... Yeah, there is a. I'm reading it at the moment. There's oh. a full synopsis of Act One and Act Two. Where? Um, oh, I don't know. It's on. It's on Wiki. Oh, it's, it's there. I'm. I'm just looking at it. Um, it's. It's very oh. long. I did look. I promise. You can see it in my history. Yeah, I'm annoyed that I didn't see it before. Actually. Yeah. Um, because it gives you the full rundown. This leads me to ask. You know, if there is a plot, then why hasn't everybody anybody ever staged this? Yeah, this as a ballet, mm. as a ballet, not as a music. What I need is some really amazing Sonia Toya type dancing yeah. in this. I'd be with you on that. I was just going to say there's a sort of virtuosic nature to it as well, which I love in Dream Theater. You know, you were talking about Mike Portnoy and these guys just know their instruments inside out. And occasionally, I suppose you could probably throw the accusation that they 
play one note too many when fewer notes would do. But I think that's part of the charm. I think you probably yeah. couldn't necessarily... I certainly couldn't listen to Dream Theater back to back. It's a bit like a medieval banquet where dishes just keep on coming out. And after about <laughs> sort of four or five, you're beginning to feel slightly bilious. Yeah. And you have done Les Miserables like a thousand times. Yeah. So, so. I know about long pieces of art um, that yes. never seem to end. But there is, for me, a real admiration of that, of that sort of mastery, I suppose. And yeah, it wouldn't necessarily be the populist choice, but yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed listening to it. The, um, the track I loved the most was scene three, part two, Fatal Tragedy, which sounds quite full mm, yes. on, but actually it's quite, I found it quite playful. Um, and I don't yeah. exactly know, maybe you'll be able to tell us, Evan, if you've got the um, synopsis there, what the hell's going on in that moment, because I quite like to know. Yeah, a lot of reading. It's a big, long story. It's um, just roughly, it's a man going through, uh, Nicholas is, is going through uh, hypnotherapy, past life regression, and he is, he was Victorian in a previous life. Um, and it's, yeah, it's going oh. on about, you know, people having affairs and murder and uh, the hypnotherapist is a reincarnation of one of the characters. And it, Oh, that's very opera. It is, isn't it? It's very long and, and very involved and I need time to really read it properly and break it down. It does feel quite operatic, actually. I was just going to say the same thing. And actually it got me thinking about sort of rock and metal in theatre and how more often than not it kind of operates on an operatic scale rather than anything else. Well, it does. And that was the... So genesis of this show was that metal is socially acceptable opera. And so we sort of opened that up. Yeah, never really thought about it like that. But Well, 40 episodes in, I can tell you, yes, it's pretty much everyone comes and says, this was really theatrical. Proof of concept, yeah. That's why you're here, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a concept I pulled out of my ass in five minutes. Um, <laughs> fancy that. This one in particular, though, I mean, this is so theatrical. You know, you, it's it, mm. there's some metal, I guess, which is very sort of monodirectional, quite sort of closed off almost, whereas this just feels yeah. like it's so broad. Yeah, but not um, like, say, King Diamond or something that's over the top and, and comes across as silly. This comes across as, as you say, virtu virtuosic. It, it sounds like these are music students that know what they're doing in terms of, of composition yeah, yeah. And, and playing and arrangements, bringing in the instruments at, you know, different things here and there and different sounds. Like, this is why I'm here, but it needs to be palatable. And this was, thankfully. Yeah, no, I, I would like to further explore this when I have a, you know, a good break that I don't have to listen to a bunch of other albums <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, it's, yeah, it basically seems to be about he's um, having to, solve a previous life's murder mystery and he can't move on until he's you know solved how he was murdered in a previous life yeah it's all someone could put this on stage it looks really really interesting yeah definitely everyone buy my book so that all these ideas we keep coming up with in this show i can afford to produce them <laughs> uh, anyways uh well i think plug 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 yes, of the week. Uh, shameless plug um um yeah no i think we've we've uh Woken up from the dream theater. Oh, God. Yeah, no, this was a successful choice this week. Finally, it's taken you about nine episodes to get one. But yeah, so we're going to throw it to a quick ad break and we'll be back shortly with West End's Hadley Fraser. Coming this summer, winter, spring, or fall, the first ever musical theater sitcom you go behind the scenes of the latest West End show, The Fosse Forest Ballet. Where's the important stuff? Aha! A thousand pound a week ensemble rate. Ah, that's what Mamma Mia likes. Starring Philip Joel and a West End cast featuring Carrie Alice, Darren Denny, Louise Demon, and Oliver Savile, and more. It all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just, I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. <gasps> Darling! Mwah, 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 mwah. How long have I been mentoring you? Three months? Two years. So, her name is Henrietta. The horse. Yes. 
I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Pant. Frozen. You can watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com Any and all profits go back to theatre charities, acting for others, and the theatre's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. Nice. Tight. We're back. You're listening to Thrash and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Evan. And we're joined by West End hunk Hadley Fraser. And I always go to say Fraser because we've had Alison Fraser on the show. And there was a whole discussion about that. And so all week I have been Fraser, Fraser. Fraser. So if I do say Fraser, I am so sorry. Ah, it's okay. I'm not a stickler for uh, it, you know? No. Well, you, yeah, you, yeah, you guess you're British. <laughs> we're going to jump straight into the musical and we're going to do the musical version of Young Frankenstein, which is actually Young Frankenstein. It's anyone who has seen the movie would know the classic Mel Brooks Gene Wilder film, which is uh, Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn, that's right. Yeah, she is, yeah. Bless her soul. Rest in peace. She was incredible in that. Absolutely loved her. Now, you've played the titular role in this, I believe, unless that's right. I've yeah. looked at the wrong Wikipedia. No, no, no. no you're absolutely right. Yeah. And now, um, before we get into Evan's thoughts, I don't normally ask guests this because I've invited you on to my show to find out about you, but we're talking about Mel Brooks here. So I have to know, did Ross Noble nearly wee himself? Well, Ross, I don't think could quite control the excitement a lot of the time. Um, he was such a, a male devotee, you know. Ross is a real sort of student of, of comedy, uh, uh, comedy badger, I suppose. I, I confess I wasn't a big devotee, you know. I, 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 I'm not sure if I'd think I'd watch Blazing Saddles. I don't think I'd actually watched Young Frankenstein before I auditioned. Um, but have subsequently, obviously, sort of fallen in love with him a bit more. But, yeah, Mel was, yeah. Mel was here for um all of our rehearsal periods and i mean he was a thrill i mean he must have been 91 i think maybe 92 when when we were rehearsing but came in pretty much every afternoon wouldn't yeah. matter wouldn't matter if we were in the middle of a really delicate sensitive scene or a huge dance sequence he'd kick the doors of the rehearsal room open stand there like with his arms aloft and go, no, 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 you're ruining the fucking show. And then <laughs> we, knew, we knew that Mel had arrived. What was incredible actually was that they had done, Mel and Susan Stroman, the director, had done a version of the stage show on Broadway about 10 years yeah. prior to us doing it. And it hadn't gone particularly well. No. Um, and they've been very brutal with rewriting it. And they cut about an hour out. Um, Oh, wow. And uh, approached this the the West End version in a very different way. It became a lot more of a sort of B movie tribute. You know, the one on the one on Broadway was all bells and whistles. You know, they spent millions of dollars on it. I imagine. You know, they had Tesla yeah. machines and a cast of seventy five thousand, whereas we had a cast of about three and some front cloths. It felt like a panto, and as a consequence, yeah. it really <laughs> found its home here. And I don't know, you stick someone like Ross Noble mm. in and some old stages like myself and, and Leslie Joseph and uh, Summer Stralin and Di Pilkington yeah. and people like that. And it, and it really and it flew actually over here, which was which was a thrill. And I think it was really satisfying for Mel because it had been such a disappointment on Broadway for it to come yeah. back around 10 years later, for him to be such a big part of it. And then for it to be a success was a really I don't know. I felt. I felt pleased and proud for him as much as he did. I think it was terrific. And he's uh, an astonishingly wonderful and kind-hearted man over and above that sort of facade that he puts out to the world. He is a gorgeous individual. Yeah, no, um, I th just only quickly, um, I think it's the absurdity of the humour works better in Britain than it does in America. Uh, the producers was a really big, big hit because the humour is very New York Jewish humour. It's very um, entertainment driven. So Broadway, of course, went crazy for it. Whereas Young Frankenstein is more along the lines of a Monty Python type 
you know, that real absurd uh, humor. I think anyways, that's my opinion. Yeah. But we'll find out what Evan thought about this. So would you like to tell the leading man what you thought of his <laughs> performance and the musical? And remember, he is a qualified scientist. <laughs> oh, really? No. No, I'm oh, not. Okay. No, it's, no. It's just a joke. Oh, God. <laughs> no. Oh. I'm a huge fan of Ross Noble, by the way. Just, oh, good. Just, yep, just put, putting it there. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, um, yeah, I had seen the film. Uh, it was one of the few, one of the few that I have. Um, uh, obviously, I had seen Blazing Saddles um, and Spaceballs. I was, oh. I was addicted to Spaceballs. Heats of the heart you know. still makes me laugh. Yeah. Oh, there's so many. Um, yeah. So Mel Brooks, he's, he's just a national treasure. I don't know how he's managed to... Um, He's treaded that line of being offensive, irreverent. Oh, yeah, offensive without being, you know, without being cancelled, really, if, if you want to put it in that term. Like, you know, he can do sexist jokes without being sleazy or machoistic somehow. There's a cheekiness about it. Yeah, it, he, he treads that line yeah. of it's, it's not quite Benny Hill enough to get you in trouble, but still funny. And it's still funny today. You know, I don't know how he does it. He's just treaded that fine line and he, he made it through without without really offending too many people. But yeah, Young Frankenstein, again, I'd seen the movie. I had no idea someone turned into a musical. But of, of course they have because they've turned everything into musicals. Oh, um, catty. What? <laughs> but fair. There's so much. I know. There's I so think much. There'll be, there's some, yeah, is there'll be some random murder in the newspaper. And it's like, oh, yeah, they've turned that into a musical. Oh, my God. That's so true. Continue. It's true. Anyway, so I'd seen the movie. I love the movie. Everyone loves Gene Wilder. Um, you know, I, it, yeah. I, I Anyway, I love the movie. I'd never seen a musical. And I, obviously, I still haven't. I don't think there's a pro shot. I did no. manage to see some clips. It's going to be done possibly oh okay uh, abc or nbc live abc sorry but anyway young frankenstein it, it's really well written lyrically and musically obviously because you know mel brooks just has so much input into it mm -hmm. um you know in or, or god he, he wrote it didn't mm -hmm. he most of yeah, it yeah he did yeah um yeah so you know the, the transition you know when you get if anyone's going to make a musical out of your own movie it might as well be the guy who wrote the movie. Uh, oh, you say that after we have Bobby Cronin on talking about Mary and Max. It's it's very well written, musically, lyrically. Um, to work in uh, genres like barbershop, jazz, uh, sneak in Cossack pieces and, and still keep it all within the same theme and with the same sound to it is very clever. Um, and of course, someone like Mel Brooks, you know what you're going to get. Um, I, again, I grew up in the age, I grew up with Spaceballs and Blazing Saddles, and this, this certainly feels like it's been approached like a movie. Uh, the score is, is movie quality, and you could quite easily be listening to the film score. There are some genuinely funny songs, I think most of them, and especially standout ones like Don't Touch Me, where you can, you can work in the line like, you know, don't touch my tits, and then, oh, bugger it, while we're here, tits! <laughs> And then, you know, do it again. Tits! Like, what? That's Mel Brooks all over. Just while we've broken the, broken the rules, we'll just go all the way. Another standout song, obviously, is Roll in the Hay. Uh, Sutton Foster is just masterful. That's the wrong one. It's not Sutton? What? You're saying we, list, we were supposed to be listening to... The Live London one that Hadley's on. The Live London... Oh, I'm sorry. I listened to the original cast recording. So Sutton Foster is awesome. Um, she is awesome. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Hadley. Why this would is you my be sorry? To be honest with you, it's probably much less um, sort of confounding for me because I don't have to sit here and listen to myself or talk about myself. So, yeah, thank you very no, much. Um, did you specify? Did you? I specify did. I sent version? you the link. I always send you the links. I don't just tell you what it is. I send you a right. link. Okay. Well, anyway, um, I found a clip of Roll in the Hay. Okay. Yeah. On um, David Letterman. Okay, yeah. They were, they were promoting it, and Sutton Foster's, you know, it was awesome. And I, I played it to my wife, and she's like, Who is that? She is incredible. Yeah, she's in a lot of trouble, too. <laughs> she is, yeah. <laughs> balancing comedy yeah. with exceptional performances while also bouncing upside down in parts. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that's, that's incredible. She didn't even, like, 
You could tell she was singing it. She wasn't miming. And yet she's flipped upside down and is bouncing on this cart. And I can't hear it in the voice. No. I, I thought that was clever as hell. Discipline and hard work and breathing techniques and looking yeah. after yourself. It, it is yep. a grueling career. Because <laughs> remember, they do that eight shows a week. Yeah. Yeah. When you say it like that, it does, it does sound tiring when you say it like that. But yeah. somehow you get through. Yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal still... can't even shower once a day. And they do that eight <laughs> times a week. Yeah. Um, put, uh, putting on the Ritz it obviously had me giggling um yeah that's yeah that's that's funny as hell yeah it's 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 very similar you've got me again it's very similar to was it mary and max this morning where you've given me a musical i, I just love like every song yeah. is excellent um every song is well written it, it's so cleverly written god it's mel brooks it, you, you you can't bloody go wrong there we go there's the london song list god damn it <laughs> <laughs> If you want still time to listen to that London, we can go back and redo it. No, no, that's good. I mean, the songs, yeah, no, no, it's all Do just good. your part, I mean. Yeah, I ended up, I did end up listening to it a good few times. It's it's great. It really is great. I would love to see it on stage. This is another one I would definitely go and see. Yeah. If it, if it was to come anywhere close to this country. Well, you know, Ross, Ross is desperate to do it in Australia. Yeah. I mean, he's living over there at the moment. I think he's coming back here to tour. Um, at the end of the year, but yeah, his his home is is uh, is Australia now, really. That's right. Yeah, because he'd done a show here. That's the other one. Yeah, I don't remember what it was, but yeah. Now, so I find this interesting, yep. Evan, because uh, you didn't like Spam a lot, and so I was no. Okay. Because I was offended by Spam a lot because I I felt like it was just a blatant cash grab. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yep. this came after <laughs> the success of the producers, so you don't yeah. think? I mean. This is purely putting a film on stage, though. I'm yeah, not saying it's not... not worthy. That's all. I'm just just pointing out your hypocrisy. That's all. No, no. Spamalot is like, God, it's a jukebox musical, isn't it? Don't you hate those? That's not a jukebox musical. Oh, it's cramming all their favourite stuff into one show. Not really. Oh, some like the fish slapping song. <laughs> and they're always looking um, the bright side of life, which belongs to another film. Well, there you go. Yeah yeah um the other one i really loved was together again for some reason yeah no that um, was really great i listened to i, I found it it just took no convincing to go let's build a monster all right you know yeah. just it was literally a couple of seconds like oh go on yeah. oh, okay fine yeah no it still makes me laugh even after three or four listens um no it's yeah i i really i really enjoyed young frankenstein like i said it's a, it's it's um it's beautifully written, beautifully played. Um, the, the whole thing has a theme, it has a feel. You know, every song you could, you know, shuffle them and still know what show they're from. Yeah. Um, it does tell the story. I, you know, I love it when you can pick up the whole thing start to finish just from listening to it. Yeah. Because, you know, as we said, I'm listening to it without any context. Yeah, which is part I've of the, seen the film. part of the critique that you're to look for is, yeah, is yeah, the I love narrative it. clear? Mm. Yeah. Oh, very. Yeah. In this, yeah, you can listen to it and hear the whole thing all the way through, and you can pick out the different characters and, and know what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's it's great. I I really would go and see this. I would pay some some good money to go and see this on stage. Yeah. Um, I I haven't seen any of the 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 staging, um, from either show, so I'm not sure no. you know how big they went. Because, you know, the movie, they, they went all out and built this freaking castle. Um, yeah, so I haven't seen the staging of, of, of you know, how it looks. Uh, but yeah, just on based on the music alone, yeah. I, I'd pay some good money to go see this. Yeah. Loved it. Loved it. Just to, to go, what did you give? What score did you give Mary and Max? Oh, God. Can I go 10? No. I, really, so it's a I five. fell in love with Mary and Max. Okay, like, yeah. like, just that just blew me away. All right. It was... And now, so, so good. What did you give Young Frankenstein? Frankenstein, um, yeah, it's a good solid four. Yeah. Definitely four and a half, even. Yeah. Um, you know, because I mean, Frozen got five, so. Yeah. Fro yeah, I have Frozen to sort of. That's the, that's from... the Frozen got five because that's that's a yeah that's the benchmark at the moment. Yeah. You know, you're either better than Frozen or yeah, close close. To Frozen. Now, obviously, um, <laughs> Hadley, you had done Blame Is and and quite a 
oh, a lot of shows by then, like Pirate Queen, some big shows. Was this your most technically advanced show with sort of lighting and, and special effects? Was there any of that or was it just all no, well, screens? Well, or Almost was... the opposite, actually, but, but sort of intentionally yeah. so. Our version of Frankenstein over here was, um, like I said earlier on, it was very um, sort of poor theatre. So there were some automated bits, you know, there were the sort of um, yeah. the, the gates of of the castle that occasionally would break down um and so we'd have to stop the show which was actually ross's favorite event whenever that happened and they had to bring the the front cloths in um mm -hmm. uh ross would sort of collar me and take me out in front of the in front of the uh, front cloths and we'd just we'd improvise for 10 minutes which is fine if your day job is an improvisational comedian it's yes. not so happy <laughs> if you're mostly reliant on script. Um, yes. And uh, those are some of my most favourite moments of the show was actually being out the front yeah. with Ross and, and improvising in character. Um, so actually it was not very technical. What it was, I suppose, was just rather breathless. I mean, you were talking, Aaron, about, um, you know, doing that thing eight times a week. And it was a mm -hmm. very physically demanding show. I think I was pretty much on for every single yeah. second of the sh of the piece because it's just, it follows, you know, Frankenstein's story. Um, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. You yeah. Yes, um, Frankenstein. You know, it follows his story and it, it, yeah. it, it was certainly a physical undertaking. I think I, I probably lost about a stone on that show but by in the, in in the year that we did it, just because it was so such an exertion, it was wonderful fun and it was great and it was a bit of um and it was a bit of a highlight. But um, we had our little girl was probably about one, maybe one when I started too. So there wasn't a lot of sleep going on. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. My wife Rosie was doing a play in the West End at the same time, a, a long. Jez Butterworth play so we, we we were burning the candle at both ends and I, and I just remember getting to the end of that run absolutely exhausted my voice was shot and I just needed to lie down for a couple of months um, mm -hmm. but that said it was sort of indecent amounts of fun on stage because yep. like you've been saying you know Mel's sort of DNA ran through it and then having people like Ross and Leslie on board with it too and it was a very happy company so um, yeah I look back on that with I look back on that with a great deal of, of love. And, and if you ever get around to listening to the London recording, Evan, what's lovely about it is it's a live recording. So we did it, yeah. we recorded it, I think, across ah. maybe three or four performances. And then obviously they edited whichever they thought was the best take of each one. But what you get back, I don't know, um, Aaron, if you sort of, when you listen to it, whether that made a difference or not. But I found with Frankenstein listening back to that, it really, it seemed, there are some cast albums where you want it to be in the studio, but with something like this, yeah. it really seemed to make sense for it to be a live recording and to have the audience there as a very, very sort of present part of it. Um, uh, to be honest, I'm not big on live You're recordings not. at all. No, um, audiences shit me up the wall. <laughs> Anyone who listens to this show would know that. Nothing like this morning I'm ranting to poor Bobby Cronin about audiences losing my mind about and I'm just like sit down it's not about you. Um <laughs> you know that they're all you know that they are like an integral part right we can't we sort of can't I do it I I understand them. that <laughs> and I haven't been on a stage in so long that I am now one of them um an audience member only now sadly um so that's me and my, me being horrible, obviously. No, so I don't know. I don't know. Because I think it's maybe that sitcom effect of when there's a laugh, I like to choose when I get to like what I find funny. I feel like when I'm hearing an audience laugh, I'm being told what's funny. Yeah, Does yeah. that make sense? It makes total sense, yeah. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's definitely my problem, my issue, because, you know, it's really not patronizing at all. I don't know why I feel patronized by it. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't know, but you guys did absolutely well. I'd listened to it quite a few times over the weeks, and I, I do much prefer it over the American one, and I think for that reason that there was that decade of retrospect that they could go back and work out sort of what's going to work here. But also it just it, it is such a 
as I said before, such a British story or at least feeling a, a comedy mm. behind it that it, I think it definitely worked a, a lot more, uh, a lot better, um, which is no, absolutely no um, negative on the Broadway cast. I mean, you got Megan Mullally and Ashula Hensley yeah. and yeah. So like, you've got this amazing cast, but, I think that's what it was. It just didn't hit the mark. They were writing off uh, the producers, which was a massive hit. Um, and they thought, well, this one's going to surefire hit. And it just, yeah, I don't think it landed. Mm. Um, Blazing Saddles may have been a better option for the American audience because the Wild West is so in- intrinsic to the American history and, and culture and, and stuff like that, that, yeah, I think that would have been a better option, whereas Young Frankenstein definitely mm. works better here. Um, but anyways, I think Young Frankenstein has run out of steam, so we will resurrect after the ad break. G'day, listeners. Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time, go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, You'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. Crack, thud, the human trips over the uneven ground as the Twanimal blows out the lantern. Watch your step, Kapoor says a little too late. Why did you put the light out? Bollycosh, an open flame near hay bales? And here I thought you were smart, sir. Toniston agrees with how silly he must have sounded. What are we doing out here? The boy asks as they blindly walk around the side of the house, where they're greeted by giant shadows rising up above them. Unable to properly see in the pitch-black darkness, Toniston presumes they are the three hay bales. He looks around. The plains are vast, and the spotlights out in the distance, now a purple colour, seem to be too far away to bring any real light to them. They do, however, look very pretty dancing on the rippling oceanic sky. Stand back, the silhouetted cub paw warns with his gruff but friendly voice, clearly able to see in the darkness better than the human who had constantly refused to eat his carrots. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! All right, we're back and listening to Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we're joined by Hadley Fraser. And we've just been talking about Young Frankenstein. So what is a horror movie, like a full-on horror movie, that you think would make a great campy musical comedy? Because we've got like Toxic Avengers and, and stuff yeah, like that. That's a good question. I saw, um, I don't know whether you've ever come across it, I saw Evil Dead the musical. Yep, yep. That's uh, that was really good fun and quite yeah. shocking. I, I only recently discovered that existed, and I haven't okay. got around to actually looking at it yet. Don't, because we'll cover it on the show. I don't want you to find out about any other shows. Because I'm a huge Evil Dead fan. I'm like, yeah. oh, of course they made a musical <laughs> of it. Um, I'm doing a play at the moment that's um, sort of set around the paranormal. So I, I, I might, I might okay, sort yeah. of plump for something a bit sort of poltergeisty or paranormal activity or something like that. There'd be quite. Yeah quite a lot of fun in those in those sort of shocks and and jump starts and things like that I, I, yeah maybe yeah. something in that direction we we just had the one of the puppeteers from poltergeist on the show yeah kirk thatcher mm. who i mm. mentioned before mm. oh yes i i would do the human centipede <laughs> anyways moving on no I'm, I'm kidding that's a terrible joke i've never actually seen it oh man um <laughs> act one two and three are just joined together yeah but <laughs> i'm Okay, so what is one quote-unquote ugly or villainous role that you'd love to shed this hunky heartthrob image? Something that already exists. I don't want any something new answer. No, 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 no. Um, Sorry to put my foot down. Um, there's only there, no, it's fine. There's one. There's only one role that I cover, and it is kind of in that direction that I cover, which is 
Sweeney Todd. I'd love to see Sweeney Todd. Yeah. That's pretty murderous. I thought that's a popular choice. Yeah, because it's a masterpiece of writing. So I think a lot of people have got their eye on that. Yep. Hell of a lot. It's, yeah, common male or female. It's either going to be Mrs. Lovett or Sweeney Todd, yeah. whether performing or directing. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Everyone wants to have a go. That's it. Okay, so what type of musical do you avoid? Most. <laughs> I'd, I'm not. Here's the thing. It, what's been lovely about this was was listening to some dream theatre as a consequence of being on the podcast. Yeah. What's been less lovely is that I really don't listen to musical theatre. Yeah, no, you're not the first. It's a bit sort of, it's a bit like Busman's Holiday, you know. I, I'm, I prefer to listen to other things. That's That's me being a bit facetious. There are some that I will listen to. What do I avoid? Okay, well, I'll reframe the question. Your agent sends you two free tickets to a show and you throw them immediately in the bin. What show is that? And you cannot play the fifth because you're not American. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, you also don't want to offend anyone who may have ever worked on those shows. Yeah, that's true, yeah. No. I've worked with quite a few people. I don't <laughs> want to offend anyone. Yeah. Um, well, just know that people out there, I am. I forced this question out of him. Yeah. So come at me. Come, I'm, I'm the bitch. I would probably avoid sort of jukebox musicals really like i imagine i think evan you just laid that accusation at aaron's door i think i would be the same something like mamma mia or jersey boys i think is something that i'd probably wash my hair for instead <laughs> yeah <laughs> correct answer now um here in australia we say chukas uh, and you've worked in a few countries what have been some of the cultural theatrical differences that you've noticed along the way there was quite a big one the first time i worked in america first time i worked in new york I wasn't quite prepared for just how straight-jacketed the sort of unionisation of stage work is over there. And yes. I remember I went to move a prop or move a piece of furniture or something, and one of the stage crew guys came up and gave me pretty short shrift. He was like, hey, that's not your fucking job, buddy. You know, and I was a bit like, oh, wow, okay, this... Because, in, in, you know, you're in rehearsals over here. There's probably a minimum of a couple of stage management and everybody just mm -hmm. kind of mucks in and it's what you do and everything's done a bit more on a bit of a shoestring and you just kind of, if you have to move a bit of furniture, you do it. But over there, it's so structured and everybody has their sort of what they can do for their jobs, what they are not allowed to do for their jobs. That was a big cultural thing to get across. But I kind of see it because it's there's a certain amount of saying it is important that we do this in order to just keep on justifying why we're here and yeah. we have a definition of for our job. So... That was quite a big thing. I'm trying to think what else really. I don't know if there are any massive sort of more generalizations that I felt really, um, because everything just differs from show to show, from production to production. Very often it's mm -hmm. led from the top and, you know, you can find you can find good people wherever you go. And, you know, conversely, you can find wrong. And so, you know, that's there's there's always this kind of there's always a, a balance to find with that stuff. Now, if you noticed a difference in the culture of standing ovations, across the pond compared to the West End, which obviously, again, I'm not talking about this post-COVID reopening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's excited. I made my feelings known about that in the Bobby Cronin episode. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think people in, certainly in London audiences are becoming a bit more prone to jumping to their feet. Um, yeah. It's hard as an actor because you want to believe that it's for you and that you've done a good show. So I'm not sure I'd be the best judge of it. And also, the, 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 the sort of the mitigating factor that I would draw into my own perspective on this is that the show that I did, the two shows that I've done in New York, one of them was, was a musical and it was quite a big flop. So no one was getting to their feet anyway. And the other was a really quirky play about chess that no one came to see. So I'm not sure I'd be the best um <laughs> the best person to ask about the difference, no, to be honest. Done, no, but you've done you've done um Les Mis and that is a massively popular show did you notice obviously from doing it in the early 2000s to then coming back 10 years later was there a difference in audiences there i don't know man i'm not sure i i don't know if i maybe maybe i'd certainly think within the 20 years that i've been doing it there is much more of an instinct in in audiences now to sort of jump to their feet and and applaud and and i suppose there's there's the sort of reactionary in you that goes well you should only really stand if it's if it's worth it yeah it's extraordinary that's that's i think that's what you guys signed up for because as you said at the start of that you don't know if it's for you or for the show or or you know a great performance like that's i think that's going to mess with people's heads because you're going to expect it 
after all. Actors will expect it. If you don't get it, you're going to be kicking yourselves. What did I do wrong? And, and we all know what artists are like. We are overly anxious and neurotic about our own work and, and responses to that work, you know, when it's on such a grand scale. So, mm. yeah, sorry, this the is only, your answer. No, no, no. No, it's interesting to hear. It's really interesting. <laughs> that the, only thing, the only thing I'd sort of counter with that is that, in, in a way, I think it's not really up to us to, to judge or to suggest in what, in what way an audience member wants to show their appreciation. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, things change. The only thing constant is change. And if, and if in the theatre that means that people are, are, are sort of getting on their feet and, and applauding as a matter of course, then it's not really harming yeah. anything. You know, it's just one of those things that changes and, and that's what happens. Yeah, getting on their feet and getting on my nerves. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. Okay, so obviously we, we've chatted a bit of comedy. What was the last movie that made you cry? Ooh, that's a really hard question. I really can't remember. Do you know I don't? I don't actually watch an awful lot of movies. I literally, I can't. I can't remember. But but the problem is, is that I suppose I've got to the point now where I can't actually remember what the last movie was. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to blame early onset dementia for that, um, for that answer. Yeah. Now that you've said that, I can't remember the last movie I watched. There it is, you see. Oh, uh, I watched the um, Blade Runner, uh, Blade Runner 2049. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's I don't good. know if it made me cry, but that was the last one that really made an impression on me. I thought that was, that was a stunning piece of filmmaking yeah. don't know if it made any money either no but that's often the way though isn't it not really a fair question if i can answer as well because i've already told you it was yesterday it was yeah and <laughs> mary was, and max it was mary and max before that finding nemo oh really oh yeah now Dory's speech about um oh. being home and and, her, and you know her gills kind of drop and i i lose it when she can remember things because of uh um oh god what's his name uh, marlon marlon yeah you just unlocked it for me. I know what it was. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. I know what it was. It was onwards. Yes. It was the moment where he was watching his older brother have that moment with the dad who'd come back. Yes. 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 He gave up that. Yes. Sorry. I, I lost my dad about three years ago, and I saw that in the oh, cinema. Yeah. Maybe it was. I don't know. Maybe a couple of years after my dad had died, and and I was in bits. Those Pixar movies have a have a unique ability, don't they, to reduce you to either a helpless mess or bits of hysterics. They're, mm. they're, they're wonders of filmmaking. They are. Um, now, so I raised my nephew. And so that the ending of that film, because he's an ungrateful little brat, <laughs> it destroyed me. <laughs> it absolutely destroyed me. And yeah. I've said to him numerous times, you are going to watch this movie one day and you're going to take away the message from it at the end of it. <laughs> Anyways. But there's, yeah, there's so many universal themes though. You know, anyone who's had a kid or anyone who's lost a parent yeah. or you know, that, that kind of thing. And they'll, they'll, they'll hit you with it. They're unashamedly. They'll go for yeah, it yeah, yeah. on purpose. I love Pixar, but also fuck you, Pixar, because you keep making grown men cry. <laughs> Stop making us care about cartoons. <laughs> That's it. Stop making us have yeah. feelings. Anyways, what's been your most awkward fan experience? I'm not sure from for personally speaking, although I'm working with a guy at the moment who had quite a, an awkward fan experience the other day. He got sent a photo of someone who tattooed his face onto their ass cheek. Oh, okay. That was quite full on. I don't think I've ever sort of got to that point. Um, Not that you know of. No. You'd, you'd have a few <laughs> Doctor Who fans, surely. Yeah, but on the whole, they're pretty, they're pretty chilled. And the Doctor Who fans are really keen to, I think they call them completists. Does that make sense? To get every single person who's been in Doctor Who to get their autograph, you know, right? They can be quite persistent, but they're they're pretty polite and they're pretty, you know, they're they're pretty pretty chill. I don't think I've ever really had much awkwardness, to be honest. I mean, um, I do not believe that for a second. You have played every heartthrob on West End for twenty years, Hadley. Like, how has someone not thrown their underwear at you? I don't know. I mean, I'd welcome it. I'd welcome it. Ask you to sign their boobies yeah. or something. And Evan, do you have any questions? Oh, I'm going to say something stupid. They've done a Doctor Probably. Who musical, surely. There must be one, surely, doing around somewhere. And a sort of unofficial one, I would have thought. Well, listen to this. Many years ago, well, I did, well, I must have been about 18 or 19, I did the Edinburgh Festival. Yeah. And um, I did it with a bunch of people from Cambridge University. I didn't go to Cambridge, but they didn't have anyone who knew how to do musical theatre there. So I got sort of pulled in mm -hmm. as a ringer and I did this show 
with this musical theatre outfit. And it was um, a retelling of the original Star Wars trilogy as a musical written uh, yeah, in yeah. like the East End with sort of Gilbert and Sullivan Gilbert and Sullivan musical. It was called Far, Far Away. And it was the show. It was it got an award in the Observer um, newspaper over here for the show most likely to make you want to top yourself. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so, you um, know, I think where sci-fi musicals are concerned, I'm sure actually Back, Back to the Future seems to be doing quite well. Yeah, I'm intrigued. But um, where sci-fi musicals are concerned, you've got to really tread, tread very, very gently, I think. Yeah, there's no real... I was thinking about this, like, there's no, like, alien abduction musical or anything like that. Like, that's... And you'd think that... Something like um, what's the movie K Pax with the actor who shall not be named? Oh, yeah. Um, that's not a alien abduction movie. It's like an alien in real life sort of thing. Or um, Paul with uh, oh yeah, Peg and Frost, S- yeah, Simon yeah. Pegg. Yeah, sort of that um type of thing. Why hasn't there been something with aliens? Or we've had Shrek for crying out loud, and that's mm. like a big giant green. We've had King Kong. You've already accepted to do the Young Ones musical. Who do you play? Mike, Rick, Vivian O'Neill. And if you don't know the Young Ones, you can leave immediately. (laughs) You're in the wrong country. No, mate, it's it's the agony of choice, isn't it? It's the agony of choice. Probably Vivian. Yeah, I was going to say, have to be Vivian. Yeah. You get to break stuff on stage, you know, Mohawks. That would be the most fun, I would say. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, that surely can't be far away. Young Ones, the musical, someone's writing that somewhere. Yeah, what if they just done... Oh, they, they're putting everything, every British TV show on stage now, Dad's Army and Faulty Towers and all this. And I, I yeah. look, yeah. okay, if things are going to be official and good, okay, cool, but I, I want no more of these unauthorised parody musicals like that Star Wars one you talked about. Um, write something new if you kids out there cannot find an original story come and talk to me my head is bursting with them how do you get away with parodying or, or doing an unauthorized star wars musical without being sued um you call them characters like java the uh, pizza the hut and stuff like that like you do a send up yeah i played um I played Lando Calrissian, and I think my character was called Leonard. Oh, <laughs> you get around it that way. And he was a nightclub owner. Now you worked on Murder on the Orient Express, or directed by the great Kenneth Branagh. So, what was the sort of the best or the the most useful lesson that you walked away with? Not something they necessarily told you, but just that you you gained from working with him. He's such a yeah, illustrious director. I've been lucky to work with Ken a few times. Actually, we did um, oh, yeah. we did the, the Winter's Tale together on stage and Harlequinade on stage, and we did a film called All Is True as well, where he played Shakespeare and um, I played his son-in-law, um, and and Orient Express as well. Uh, he's um, Ken was something of a hero of mine actually, and and then yeah. to work with him was something of a of a thrill and one of the takeaways i suppose that i would have is is um is something that i wish i'd sort of told the 21 year old me which is turn up having done your homework and turn up being cheerful you hear that evan <laughs> i did my homework i was given the wrong assignment that is sort of in a in a sort of theatrical rehearsal context i suppose but um probably a good good lesson for lies but he just he sort of leads by example i don't know when that man does does anything because he's always working always got several projects going on he's um he's a sort of one-man industry and uh he sort of continues to be a real inspiration for me cool and who, who would you, your other inspirations be the most basic bitch question of them all there's another couple of directors who i've been fortunate to work with a couple of times um stage directors predominantly there was a lady yeah. called josie rourke who ran a Donmar warehouse warehouse over here who um sort of changed my career to a certain yeah. extent that place fascinates me. That audience, like, yeah. is that comfortable? Like, is that uh, what to sit in? Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, and there's not much of a stage. It's like I don't know. I'm fascinated by it. Before I worked there, it was a bit of a sort of dark crystal of a place. I wasn't sure how you got in and how you get out. And then I was very fortunate to to work there quite a few times. In fact, we did City of Angels there first time round, and Josie 
yeah, Josie went a long way to sort of changing a bit of a trajectory for my career. And then there's another director called um, Richard Eyre, who <laughs> has done a, a great many films and things as well. Um, but I've worked with Richard a couple of times and I find his way of working very, 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 very inspirational as well. He's very, very thoughtful, very considered, but also very gentle and mm -hmm. very um, loving. And, and I suppose that's where he, really where I find myself these days wanting to do good work with good people and yeah. and and it's sort of as important as what you're doing is how you are while you're doing it yeah and i noticed you only pick directors there that you look up to is that a field you want to get into no, no i mean i wouldn't say no i've directed once before but just for youth theater yeah but i i, I would certainly like to i suppose it's sometimes a question of carving out the time you do have to sort of commit to those things quite a long way in advance and mm -hmm. certainly acting means that you have to be a bit more flexible and and leave yourself open to things so um i'm starting to write a lot more actually so i suppose i'm i'm, I'm exercising that sort of sense of control a little bit more of you know stepping away and having some sort of agency so mm -hmm. i guess that's the direction i'll head in yeah and obviously you'd written a uh, committee the musical is there any some news on what will be happening with going to get maybe an Australian production one day that I can go and see. I'd hope so. Maybe yeah. give you a high five at opening night because I'd better get an invite. <laughs> Sorry. You will. You guys will be there. Um, uh, yeah, no, I've been workshopping a um, musical with a composer over here called Joe Stilgo. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of ongoing. And so that might sort of wend its way down to you guys at some point. But um, yeah, it's... Um, it's something that I want to do a lot more of. So we'll see. Hopefully we'll make it out. Uh, yeah, that's it. Um, I've come to all my questions. And yes, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. It has been an absolute yeah, pleasure. Yeah. And um, where can people find you on the social medias? Oh, uh, I'm Hadley Fraser at everything, I think, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask about that. Hadley, it's it's obviously not your, um, your, your birth name. It's a stage name. What's the origin of that? Hadley was my grandfather's name. Oh, lovely. And when I joined yeah. the Actors' Equity over here, you couldn't have the same name or a similar name to someone else. And yeah. I think there was a, a Rupert Fraser or something like that, because Robert's my, my name. So I, yeah. Hadley was, I think, my third choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually read somewhere that like you, both your parents' names were already taken. That's right. Well, my, my dad's name was Jack, and I couldn't have mine. And Carol would have felt slightly strange, although that might have been the way to go. So yeah, that's what it was. It was my grandfather's name, but he actually, he was never called Hadley. He was known as Ted. So it's a very, very old English name, but it's, um, it's, uh, it's quite a rare one, but it kind of, I don't know. I like it now and it is, it does, does what it does, you know? Yeah. I, I was actually thinking about changing my name because there's another Aaron Ware from Australia that is publishing books, but they're self-help self-help books that he claims to have gone from five thousand dollars to five million dollars in a year yeah having the same name as another author is a bit of an issue i know that's what i'm saying so <laughs> uh but anyways no that's it anyways you guys at home take care and we shall see you next time who wrote awesome